Hello everyone, and before we get to the cast proper, we'd just like to say a big welcome to all of our recent listeners. If you're listening to Brainwaves for the first time, then this is a tabletop news show where myself and Jamie, on a fortnightly basis, dive into the real sort of industry news, covering all sorts of things from financial reports to allegations of abuse to really hard subjects that other casts don't really tackle. I'm Ian McAllister. And I'm Jamie Adams. And this is Brainwaves episode 79, bringing you the best in board game and tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of 9th of August 2021. Wizards of the Coast conjure up some sales, Games Workshop hands out bonuses, and abuse allegations haunt the industry. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. First up, we're over with Jamie Adams on his financial desk. Yes, we talk a lot about Wizards of the Coast, subsidiaries of Hasbro, and makers of such vaunted product as Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering, amongst a plethora of others. But uh, well, it's that time of year when financial reports are coming in, and Wizards of the Coast, the numbers, are very, very good. Wizards of the Coast's new section of the company, Digital Gaming, covering such products as Magic the Gathering Arena and the other computer game properties, took $406.3 million in the second financial quarter this year, which is up 118% over the same quarter last year. Hasbro also announced that their total gaming sales were up 63% in the same quarter. Overall, their sales were up 54%, to 1.3 billion, that's with a B, versus 860.3 million with an M in the second quarter last year. The rise in digital was offset slightly by the decline in demand for physical board games. I wonder what that was in part two. Now, Wizards of the Coast and Digital Gaming made up 31% of Hasbro's total, which was up 22% from the year before. Well, last year they would just got the ball rolling, and now it's now it's flying down that hill, collecting that moss that's uh, that's quite literally money. Um, now, yeah, sorry, the metaphors are, are flying <laughs> thick and fast and not always making sense. That's another thing I realise I do badly. Now, as part of this, the CEO of Hasbro, Brian Goldner, said they were looking at digital gaming as a big area for growth, including the digital side of RPGs in virtual tabletops, which are platforms such as Roll20, where you can host RPGs and simulate the physical tabletop online. At the moment, Wizards mostly sells its products through D&D Online and the stores of virtual tabletops such as Roll20. Now, from interviews Goldner has done previously, it seems likely that Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast will soon be increasing a lot of their prices to counteract the rise in shipping costs of their products, which is, to be fair, something we have seen or are seeing across the board. Uh, container Shipping container prices are rising, cardboard prices are rising because it's being hoarded, yeah, the price of gaming is going to go up, and this is unavoidable. So, Ian, do, do you think Wizards are going to start their own virtual tabletop? I mean, it's they, they've got a big enough stake in the gaming market that they really could. I mean, you've got the, the biggest role-playing game. You've got the biggest collectible card game. It's, it's almost inevitable at some point. Yeah, I mean, they've got, obviously, Magic Gathering Arena, which has done extremely well for them, and they've got to be eyeing something to tie into their D&D online stores they already have, where you can buy sort of virtual copies of the books, you can do all your character creation online, and it just seems like a logical next step for them to have something where you can just play the game online using Wizards' own program, whatever that is going An to be. An implementation, at, yeah. Yeah, at the moment, you, as we said in the piece, you can buy a lot of 
D&D through Roll20 or through other virtual tabletops. And there's some nice ones out there, but yeah, I can I can absolutely see Wizards throwing their weight behind their own platform at some point in the next year. Certainly they have, uh, certainly like Hasbro has shown a real interest in moving a lot of properties online uh, and keeping things digital even as we get back to normal in-person gaming. So yeah, I can, I can absolutely see growth there. Uh, who knows when that'll be, but it seems likely. But the thing is, now we've obviously, I kind of like to say, I think I've said it a couple of times on the podcast, probably more than a couple, that I believe that we are in the middle of a board game renaissance. Whenever that started, some people say the mid-80s, some people say the mid-90s, we're still in the middle of it. Is This is the question that always crops up because you know we're nothing if not cynics. When's the bubble going to burst? Is this going to be you know a straw that if not might break the camel's back at least might cause it to take a few more heavy puffs uh, as it walks i mean as we'll cover later in the cast i think the shipping costs and rising price of cardboard and various other raw materials that go into making board games are going to especially for small companies are going to take a hit and we're definitely going to see some go under but jamie wizards are not the only people to have announced big profits and some handouts Yes, Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast are not the only company to do really well. On the British side, we have Games Workshop, another company that has done so very well off people staying inside and wanting things to do. Games Workshop has reaped the benefits of everyone wanting something to do and has just announced a £5,000 bonus to each of their staff. Now, sales at the company have risen by just over a third to £361 million and profits before tax uh, were up 70% to 151 million. Now, that's you know, undeniably great. I did see uh, a headline that was apparently Games Workshop are more profitable than Google at this point, or were about a week or two ago. Now, that is you know, subject to change and probably has changed, but can't deny... I think I saw something that said they took more money than Marks and Spencer's as well. That, that was a couple of years ago, yeah. Uh, It may still be true, but no matter how you slice it, it's a lot of cheddar. While it's undeniable that it's good financial news, there is always other news not always so rosy. There was a recent job opening uh, for a position at Games Workshop, uh, and uh, part of it was shared on Twitter and caused, as you'd expect on Twitter, because it's Twitter, people to not be very happy. The stated job did not have a posted salary, and in the frequently asked question section, it said, and I quote, We want people to apply for a job because that's what they really want to do, not because of the size of the salary. Okay, I'm just going to let that sit for a couple of seconds. Now, friend of the show, James Hewitt, and his partner, Sophie Williams, both of Needy Cat Games, recalled their own previous employment at Games Workshop, and there was some pretty sad and unpleasant information in there, especially regarding how Sophie was treated running up to and during her maternity leave. Now James reports asking for wage rises after doing excellent work for them, and a back and forth where an offer was made, then withdrawn, uh, going on to say that salaries were not, not talked about within the company. Sophie herself had huge issues getting people in place to cover her maternity leave, who were then replaced, transferred, and generally messed with, meaning that when she came back, everything was very different and a bit more muddled up. James initially posted his uh, thoughts on Twitter and then refined them into um, into a, a blog post, which I would recommend you look at. 
um, as it collates. Yeah, we'll link to all that in the show notes. Yep, absolutely. But we would like to state, of course, this is previous employment. We have no idea how current Games Workshop uh, working practices are. Well, there's just a thing where if we don't talk about salaries in the industry, then people don't have an expectation of what they should be paid for a particular work. And just because you are passionate about a job doesn't mean you shouldn't be rewarded financially for also doing that job. And as many people point out on Twitter, they might want to do that job. They might want to work in the industry. They might want to work for Games Workshop. But if the financial recompense doesn't cover their living costs or having a family or whatever their situation is, then why are they going to waste their time applying for that job? They're just wasting Games Workshop's time and they're wasting their own time. It's madness to not talk about that salary. And also, yeah, it's a problem in the wider industry as well where we don't talk about this kind of stuff. Or we don't talk about financial recompense for being a part of the industry in a professional fashion. The, the, the Equality Act of 2010, you know, employees have the right to discuss salary for, uh, at least regarding, you know, protection or, or collective bargaining. You know, it is, I'm not saying that Games Workshop are, and I'm saying this, you know, clear as day, I am not saying that Games Workshop are. But if anyone is, any employers are... Um, stopping employees from discussing salary, like by, you know, contractual means, that is illegal under the Equality Act of 2010. Ian, I'm afraid we've got more new, we've got more uh, just abhorrent news about abhorrent people in the game industry. I I can't sugarcoat that anymore. On July 29th, Gates Dowd, who has held a variety of professional positions in the board game industry, posted a piece on her own site detailing systematic problems with that industry and her own personal experiences with two gentlemen, one called Brad Andrus and one called Ben Moy. In the piece, which we should say has details of physical assault, verbal and emotional abuse and stalking, details her relationship with Brad Andrus from November 2018 to March 2020 and interactions with Ben Moy from March 2020 until summer 2020. We aren't going to cover this verbatim here, but suffice to say that she details multiple instances of abusive behaviour from Andrus and stalking behaviour from Moy. Board Game Geek has subsequently revoked Andrus's access to the con and banned him from future BGG con events. Some in the community have criticised Gates for seeking attention, but she's very clear in the piece that that is exactly what she's trying to do. She's trying to draw attention to systematic problems of abuse of power in the industry that have led to her and others experience awful situations. There's been no statement on the allegations from either party or the company's work at this time, and Gates' dad was very clear in the piece that she wasn't wanting to comment any further than what she'd written down, so we have not reached out to her for comment for that reason. We've covered multiple instances of allegations of abuse and... and all sorts of horrible instances, especially over the last year where the industry has been taking a bit of an inward look at itself and asking itself what it looks like and how it should behave. It's ugly underbelly. And I won't, and I, again, I'm, I won't sugarcoat that. No, no, yeah, that's a good way I to use the word. I throw it's the word underbelly. abhorrent around a lot, especially regarding this. And you might think, oh, that word again. But can you think of a better, like, I will, I, if someone would like to suggest a better word for me to use, I, you know, I will happily debate you with that. No, no, it's no, that's a perfectly reasonable word. Basically, the industry has to work harder to create safe spaces. There was a bit of chat on Twitter in not too distant past in relation to what was known as BarCon, where there's an assumption at conventions that you will go and have drinks with people and make industry connections that way, and how that made a lot of people, especially women, very uncomfortable. 
those aren't safe spaces or, and people don't feel safe in them and the industry has to work harder in order to create safe spaces to have more diverse voices come forward and be part of the industry because it's just going to make the whole thing better. As we've said in the last cast with regards to the uh, allegations, uh, uh, sorry, as we said in the last cast with regards to the lawsuit that's happening in California against Activision Blizzard, if you want to report any instances of abuse, horrible working conditions, just terrible stuff going on within the industry and you want to do it anonymously to someone and you want them to speak out, please do get in touch with us. We are happy to do so on your behalf and you will remain anonymous. Anyway, Jamie, a little bit more financial news of sorts here and the unfortunate passing of a company. Yes. Uh, I might be grandiloquent to say it, but the dominoes are not beginning to topple, but they're being set up. And at least it was in one wobble. Back on episode 68, we reported on some issues surrounding the payment of royalties involving tasty menstrual games, makers of games such as Eminent Domain and Yokohama, to name but a few. Now, at the time, we thought maybe we're going to report that uh, the company's going to, to go under. Well, here we are. In a video from the Dice Tower, the team discusses that Tasty Minstrel Games had contacted people who had bought stock to tell them that the book value of the company was in the negative. Everyone apart from the owner has been laid off, and the development of games has been halted. This was confirmed in emails sent out to backers of the most recent Kickstarter campaign, which is a deluxe version of the game Emperor's Choice. Those backers are getting complete refunds, and being informed that Tasty Minstrel Games will not be going ahead with manufacturing for... A wide variety of reasons. The company will be selling its existing stock in an attempt to become solvent again and will not be producing games for, we assume, two to three years. Now, we hope those who have lost their jobs will find new opportunities soon and very quickly. Because, jeez, oh, that's a pain. Not a pain. That's just... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Now, you know, there is obviously... The wide variety of reasons speculation can run rampant, run rife, run wild. Uh, you know, was it too much reliance on Kickstarter? Was it? Was it X? Was it Y? Was it simply that the last year and its subsequent knock-on effects have been, well, have been? And Tasty Mental Games is just the highest-profile domino that uh, yeah. that is beginning to fall. I mean, as we've reported on in previous casts, and as we mentioned earlier at the top of this cast in the Wizards piece, the pricing of shipping has absolutely skyrocketed. We've seen prices three, four times for containers now. Companies facing bills of $120,000 for shipping, where they were facing bills of $20,000 for shipping. And like medium to large companies can maybe take that hit. I know later games have said they are taking some hit, hit on some shipping. But if you're a smaller company, mid-Kickstarter, how on earth are you meant to compensate or take that hit you, you just simply can't you have to ask for more money maybe that doesn't leave backers happy it's a whole terrible situation that a lot of people find themselves in now tasty minstrel they did rely a lot on kickstarter they did a lot of deluxified versions of games as they call them and they were pretty successful for a while but yeah i i don't think this is going to be the last time this cast is going to be reporting on a company of, of this size certainly going under because of the current situation in, in global shipping and materials and just companies getting out of their depth with Kickstarter as well. We'll keep you posted on this because it's only going to go on from here. 
Ian, we have news, more news from Wizards of the Coast, except this time it's primarily, actually almost solely, Dungeons & Dragons related. Indeed. A recent competition on Instagram has caused some consternation amongst the community. A portrait frame design contest was recently launched by Wizards of the Coast through their D&D online store. Entrants were asked to submit their designs in order to win prizes of Dungeons & Dragons product. The wrinkle came when people realised that although the art would remain the property of the entrant, Dungeons & Dragons Online would also be able to use it as they saw fit, i.e. for future products, making money off it. Many artists point out this is a lot of work for not much reward, essentially being that lovely phrase, for exposure. Uh, I can, I can, I can... Pay, I, can, I can pay rent with all the exposure I've had, can I? No, of course I can't. It's exposure. D&D Beyond, which is the online platform for Dungeons & Dragons, acknowledged the problems in a post to Instagram. From that post, members of our community raised concerns about the contest's impact on artists and designers and the implications of running a contest to create art where only some entrants would receive a prize and that the prize was exclusively digital material on D&D Beyond. Issues were similarly raised with regards to the contest terms and conditions. Though the entrants would all retain ownership of their design to use in any way they saw fit, including selling, printing, or reproducing, it also granted D&D Beyond rights to use submitted designs in the future. We have listened to these concerns, and in response, closed the competition. We'll be looking at ways we can better uplift our community, while also doing fun community events in the future. Now, competitions are a good way to get engagements for sure. We've run a giveaway or two ourselves on Twitter, but... You cannot be asking for effectively free labor, which you are then going to use to later generate revenue. You just can't do that. It's just not on at all. And if you are an artist looking to to get exposure, to get yourself out there, please don't submit to these kind of competitions because you're basically giving your work away for free. I know it's tempting in order to try and get some kind of profile out there, but yeah, it's not a good situation to find yourself in. You might find it harder down the line to sell your work. And I think Jamie's made his thoughts clear already. <laughs> Me? Making thoughts clear? Sorry, I'm passionate never. Oh, what? Anyway, Jamie, Zedman has got a new head, and uh, they're oddly familiar. Yes, uh, but before we talk about Zedman, I'd like you to take your mind back to episode 69, if you were if you were there. If you weren't, that's fine. But uh, Asmodee acquired a company called Plan B Games, headed up by a woman called Sophie Gravel. Now, Sophie Gravel... It's not the first time that her companies have been, or a company that she has helmed, has been acquired by Asmodee. At first, she was head of a company called F2Z, which was a combination of her Canadian games distribution company and Zedman Games. When that was acquired by Asmodee, she left and formed Plan B Games. When Plan B Games was acquired, as we said in episode 69, she left. Well, now she's back. And Sophie Gravel is now head of Zedman Games. What a move. What a move. She said, yeah, yeah, Zedman, she said, I look forward to driving the continued growth of not only our iconic games like Pandemic, Jamie's aside, extremely prescient in these times, Carcassonne and Love Letter, but also take Zedman's signature approach of building games that are different, unexpected and special into new games and products. Sophie is taking over the position vacated by Steve Kimball, who has been promoted to Director of Special Projects at Asmodee, where he'll be helping with projects across the Asmodee stable. I think I've been reading some uh, John le Carre recently, and hearing the words special projects, I just think it's uh, 
I had that exact thought when yeah, I read that. It's, it's, it's like it's, special it's, project. It's it's, it's going to be weird. It's going to be like wiretapping, courier running. Uh, it's not. At least I hope not. Um, but you can download board games directly into your brain. I don't want that. Uh, no. Um, but you know, Sophie Grava, what a, what a great run and fantastic person to head up the studio. I can't wait to see what she's going to do. Absolutely. Just yeah. What what a career. What some some fantastic moves and she's obviously well regarded uh, as someone who will lead that company to greater things fantastic anyway jamie let's go once more onto the breach in expensive cards oh i mean i feel like we need our own little corner for this which is like expensive card corner uh mm. i don't know but anyway we, we talk a lot Ant- Ant- uh, antiquarian avenue antiquarian oh, oh very highbrow check him We've talked a lot about the Pokemon card phenomenon and the pots and pots of money that these cards have gone for. Usually Charizards, first edition, mint condition, but still, you know, boxes of first edition Pokemon cards. Lots of money. Anyway, we've also touched on the lucrative Magic the Gathering market for cards. Well, this story combines the two. A hybrid card, one of the first Pokemon cards printed in English, has gone under the hammer at auction and sold for $216,000. This is a shiny Blastoise. It has the front of a Pokemon card, but the back of a Magic card. Now it's part of a series of test printings by then-owners of the game Wizards of the Coast to basically convince Nintendo to give them the English license to print Pokemon cards. Now, all of the test printings were Blastoise, and since 2016, four of these cards have been found. Three of them have Magic the Gathering backs, and one has a blank card back. CGC, the company that is behind the grading of of all these top-tier Pokemon cards, and has a backlog of something stretching into the months, is that right, Ian? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. has this extremely detailed blog post, um, which we will link to in the show notes, of course, which is uh, explaining how they've done the grading and the uh, authentication of these because... Fascinating. You, it, it's amazing. You know, they talk about you know close-ups of, of the, the holographic pattern because it's obviously it's a shiny Blastoise. It's not just any Blastoise. They've used, and I quote here, specialised imaging to show that all the cards were printed using the same inks. They've examined it under microscopes. Uh, it's it's amazing the levels they go to. And uh, the card that's been sold was graded at a 6.5, I believe, which was like excellent near mint condition. Now, some of the others have got actually higher, but uh, I think one got up to 8.5, which, you know, is, oh, beautiful. Yeah, thoroughly recommend that article. It's, it's a fascinating look at how they do this. You you oh you you know, you hear about oh you know the the Pokemon cards as you know you don't know about the the genesis of it I didn't I didn't even think that of course Wizards of the Coast had Magic the Gathering and then decided well if we can do Pokemon cards we'll just do test printings this stuff's out there that's amazing also Blastoise one of my favorite Pokemon so I'm very happy for that but yeah this is cool this is cool this is really cool and there is more Pokemon card story but honestly it's mostly Pokemon card selling for a lot this is interesting indeed. Anyway, talking about things that are valuable, we'd like to thank all our patrons for continuing to support the cast, and especially our executive producer, Sean Newman, from the Gamealot team. We'll link to all of Sean's bits and pieces in the show notes. You can support us on the Patreon for only $1 a month, again, extended version of the cast. 
and access to some various other bits and pieces including our forward thinking articles we put out once a month looking forward to what's happening going to be happening on the giant brain in the coming month we also have some merch these days as well through the fine pe- people at sir meeple we'll put a link down in the show notes so you can get t-shirts from them uh, they're very reasonably priced and we get a really decent cut of the profits from that unlike other sort of merchandising sites we get a really really good cut of the profits on those t-shirts so if you want to look cool and amazing and uh show your support for the cast that is a great way to do it one last thing before we wrap up here we would like to start offering what we're going to be calling an apprenticeship of sorts on the cast basically if you are someone who isn't a white cishet male like jamie and myself we would love to give you the opportunity to see how the podcast cake is baked uh, you can basically get in touch with us if you're interested in seeing how podcasts work we'd invite you on for a minimum of just one show if you want just to see how things are put together you'd present the news with us you'd do the cast with us uh we'd put links to any of your own bits and pieces in the show notes of course and, and give you a little opportunity to promote yourself but just to give you a chance to like try out podcasting if you've never done it before if you're thinking about doing it and aren't sure how to go about it we'd love to help you out with that and you can come on the cast that's been running for a good long while and sh- we can show you how we do things it's not necessarily the best way to do things we don't know <laughs> but we can show you how we do things how we go about putting the cast together how we go about deciding what stories to cover and how we go about recording things and and help you out with all that side of things so yeah if you're interested like say if you're not if you're not a white cishet male and you'd like to try out podcasting even just once give us a shout Uh, we'd love to have you on the cast and get some different perspectives on our stories and we'll give you a handout seeing how podcasts are made we hope to hear from you Jamie, you've completely failed to come up with some Monopoly news. Again. We've always said the final is called Monopoly news, but many times we've not had Monopoly, and it's just kind of what intellectual property is being pasted onto a quote-unquote classic board game. Now, I say quote-unquote. It is, you know, they are regarded as classic board games. And this time, well, I've got two pieces of news, uh, but uh, the first one I'm going to start off with is, well... The Game of Life, or Life as it's sometimes known, has been around in some form or another since 1860 when it was created by Milton Bradley. Yeah, there were games before Monopoly that weren't chess, go, or backgammon. I know, it's mad. Um, there's also a copy of The Game of Life in the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C. So it's kind of cool. kinda a big deal. Now, of course, of course, there have been multiple versions of it, uh, but this time it's the turn of a noted Italian plumber and his fungi-based mates of the mycelial realm to take their turn to spin the wheel and... I've run out, that's a rubbish, uh, rubbish uh, stuff. It's, it's Super Mario Game of Life. Oh yes. Now, instead of, instead of life, it's, uh, it's a travel around... A snaking board to defeat evil dino, dragon, turtle, and serial kidnapper Bowser. Mario, Luigi, Peach, and Yoshi are your characters. Um, And it's something of a theme for Nintendo-themed board games. That it's not just like little cardboard tokens or tiny little metal metal pieces. It's actually, you know, about a couple of inches tall plastic uh, figures that they don't look half bad. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't know how I just my mind went there. But yes, instead of having an education or getting married or getting a job, 
you'll gather power-ups, coins, and companions. Uh, along the way, there are also mini-games of the rock-paper-scissors variety, which also win coins. Now, like Mario Party, the friendship terminating simulator, uh, coins will give you stars that will increase your total spin result. Uh, and in order to defeat Bowser, you've got to get to the end and spin higher than a 12. On a 10-sided spinner. You know. Yeah, you need some stars then, don't you? Yeah, got to get got to get them stars. But I want to know, I want to know, is there a Mario Party style mechanic where you can steal stars off people? Maybe there is. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say that's not going to make me play it, but uh, oh, if there is, I'm I'm guessing don't play Mario Party, Jamie. He likes to steal the stars. No, I've never played Mario Party. I've just watched people play Mario Party and get very angry. <laughs> but anyway, nine nine. Whoa, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Oh right, what? okay, sorry. Enough. Brooklyn Nine Nine is about to air its final series after being cancelled and revived. And one of the regular episodes, as fans of the show will know, is about Halloween heist between the characters in the office itself. And now it's time for you to solve your own. It's Brooklyn Nine Nine Cluedo. From the bullpen to the break room, you take Captain Holt, Jake Peralta, Amy Santiago, Rosa Diaz, Charles Boyle, or Terry Jeffords around to find out which item is the actual trophy, who has said trophy, and where it has been stashed. For a hackneyed IP, I guess Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a better fit than most for Cluedo. And it's going to be interesting to see what the final series does, because they have they had started writing their final series when all the Black Lives Matter protests started in the States, and all the sort of police brutality stuff came to the fore, and they ditched everything and they are apparently writing series about that those instants so it's gonna be interesting to see what they do with that yeah um i don't know about hackneyed i think there have been we've covered quite a few cluedo implementations and some i think have been not as great as i think brooklyn 99 is a better fit like the dragon ball z one we covered which is ridiculous uh it was a kind of an odd fit it was like who's gonna fight who where is it going to be? And yeah, it was just odd. Uh, it wasn't great. Uh, didn't feel, for me anyway, didn't feel great. But this this feels like a good, actually a good implementation. Again, I don't know if there's any different rules or it's just Cluedo with uh, different names. Indeed. Anyway, let's get out of this place. Thank you very much for listening. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rating on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our website where all our posts, articles, and podcasts go is thegiantbrain.co.uk. You can email us about anything in the show, and if you'd like to take up that apprenticeship, you can email here as well, giantbrainuk at gmail.com. And you can, of course, join us on our Discord where the day after the cast goes out, so that's the Tuesday following the cast going out there is a regular games night and we'd love to see you there we'll play games and you can just chat to folks there as well we've got a nice little community forming we'd love to see you along for now bye bye take care of yourselves bye bye <laughs>